our mission, and we choose to accept it, is zero injuries and zero environmental impact. A healthy workforce and environment is key to our nation's continued success. The Mission Zero podcast is a deep dive with the industry's top experts into the health, safety and environmental aspects of today's workplace. Our mission is to be a platform for new ideas and strategies that, when implemented, will improve our safety, our environment and how we govern out business. We are making the world safer and we're going to have fun doing it. Okay, welcome everybody back to Season 2, Episode 3 of the Mission Zero Podcast. Today my guest, a very special guest, uh, very honored to have um, John Lewis. Uh, John is the Vice President of HSC for one of the uh, world's largest uh, frack companies, in, in, especially in the United States, Next Tier Oilfield Services. Welcome, John. Glad to be here. Um, been wanting to have John on for a while. Uh, obviously, next year, one of the premier companies in America, uh, safety leader, a leader in just about every category in the oil field industry. Um, but first, we want to start out, uh, John. You know, wherever you want to start, give us a little background about yourself, where you're from, what you where, where you came from, what brought you to today. Sure. Um, again, thanks for having me. It's always great to see you guys. Um, so yeah, I uh, spent ten years um, in the military. Joined. Uh, joined the Army right out of high school um, in Southern California and uh, ran with them for 10 years. Did a lot of crazy things. Um, and right at the end of uh, my career, uh, coming back from the first Iraq deployment, I got picked up by Slumberjay. There were a lot of, uh, a lot of guys being invited to these uh, veterans hiring events, and, mm. and they had a heavy presence back then. Um, funny thing is you know they they told me i was going to go to an interview for the oil field and the first thing i told them is i didn't want to go back overseas because i had no idea we had oil fields here here still right so um pretty neat in that regard but yeah i met with them and and um within 24 hours i was on a plane to rock springs wyoming uh to meet the potential new boss at slumbers a so pretty cool um and spent three years with with slumbers a up in uh up in the rockies on a frat crew learning you know going through all the equipment it's kind of a uh supervisor and training for veterans program that they had had um enjoyed it loved wyoming um and and got uh got an offer to come back to texas to be part of a uh private equity startup pressure pumping um outfit called diamondback mm-hmm. um it was running out of the barnett shell and and had a district in uh Marlowe, Oklahoma, small outfit that uh, ended up becoming a pretty impressive pressure pumping group. Um, and we eventually sold that to uh, Superior Well Services, which was a publicly traded company back then. And, um, you know, by this time, um, I'd worked my way up to the ranks, got to enjoy, you know, the frack coordinator positions, and eventually, you know, running the frack department uh, there in the Barnett Shell. Um, eventually district manager on the operation side um, and then uh, planted our flag in the Eagleford and in 2010 about the same time we then sold Superior to Neighbors Completion and Production Services um, eventually moved into Regional Director of Operations slot ran multiple product lines and um, was over the Permian and South Texas uh, for a while so, um, 
ran regional operations for that group for a few years. Um, then uh, kind of got the idea that maybe Neighbors was le- losing the, the flavor for pumping. Um, and about the same time, uh, started having conversations with Baker Hughes ah. on the side, just a few lunches. My wife had worked over there. So um, what turned out to be social events ended up in, being so, recruiting events. Pseudo interviews. <laughs> yeah. Um, so long story short, man, I went, uh, I moved over to Baker Hughes and, and did the same thing for Baker. Um, ran pressure pumping for their southern region until um, about the time we hit the Halliburton acquisition, which was also 2015. And we all took it really hard, right? Yeah. Um, pretty much the southern division. You know, all, all our rigs laid down overnight. So I went over to the integration team. <clears throat> And uh, uh, the Halliburton deal did not go through. And almost immediately after that, we got into the BJ deal. Mm-hmm. So um, I was part of the group um, that helped spin off Baker Hughes land pressure pumping to BJ. Um, and, you know, I really didn't have a, a job to go to after that in terms of operations other than going back with BJ. And um, I was asked to take quality in uh, – uh, HSC for the acquisition, um, and that was my first few months of really getting into QHSC, uh, which I immediately, obviously, started enjoying a lot. Um, went over to BJ Services, and then I got a call from Jack Hinton over at, at uh, Baker Hughes inviting me back over to take on North America HSC. So that was my first big intro. Interesting into name to hear. On. I've been. I would love to have him come on this podcast. A safety legend. Uh, he he's he's Yoda. <laughs> yeah. He's Go ahead. Yoda. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. You. Go ahead. No, uh, <clears throat> man. Probably one of the most influential um, leaders in my career. Yeah, without a doubt. Right. A legend. Yeah. And one that really got me hooked on HSC. But mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, you know, it 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 was one of those you know calls that. Wow, HSC for the largest region um, in Baker Hughes. That scares the hell out of me. Yeah, let's do it. Mm, you know, I'd nice. like to do that. So um, moved back over to Baker and, and for a few years um, was the director of, of HSC operations for North America, five countries. Enjoyed the hell out of it. Learned a ton. Um, of course, Baker Hughes, you know, tip of the spear in HSC uh, back then, right? So that the training and, and, uh, and everything that was um, – learned and obtained back in those times just ultra powerful um but started losing the um started missing the frack you know mm-hmm. no more frack it was you know all the other baker product lines and just an, an excellent opportunity had come up with keen um at one point about the time we were still you know changing the identity of baker hughes the ge and you know that's when uh, robert drummond's name popped you know hayes the new ceo at keen and almost overwhelmingly all my co-workers at the executive level um, at Baker, most of them had worked for or around Robert at the time, and just overwhelming was like, "Oh man, you got to go do that. Yeah, you you got to go over there and work for this guy because uh, you know leadership's everything to me." And so um, I went to interview, and immediately, you know, super impressed by Robert and you know the smaller outfit, peer pressure pumping, and I was like, you know, and I really would like to take everything that I've learned and have been doing over here at Baker, get back with my core product lines with a smaller group and really get busy. Um, and yeah, man, that's, that's how it happened. VP of QHSC for Keen, and, and now next year. Now next year. Now, um, 
I want to circle back a little bit, and I don't want to dig too much into your personal history because really what we want to talk about is your, your safety philosophy and, and what's going on there. But So uh, born and raised in Southern California, you said? That's right. Uh, joined the Army at 18? Yes. Uh, so a little bit about – dig a little bit deeper in that. Well, you know, I, 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 you said one deployment – uh, you know, and this is, you know, outside of this podcast, this is where, you know, you and I connected is, is you know, I'm, I'm sitting out and I'm, I'm talking to your right hand man out in West Texas. And he goes, you have got to get to sit down with my boss. You guys are your, your backgrounds and your, in your, um, everything you've ever done is almost identical in the army and everything. And, but, uh, I can't say that, so, you know, I was a gun bunny, you were a grunt. So I can't say that it was exactly my lifestyle was as tough as yours, but, uh, a little bit about uh, you went to basic training where Fort Benning. Fort Benning. I yep. went to SEAL, uh, and and you go go ahead and just give a little bit about your Army history. Yeah, so it, great career. I guess mm-hmm. I'd be um, considered a midterm or getting out, you know, halfway mm-hmm. before it's over. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> no, um, that's all I ever wanted to do growing up. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to entertain anything other than you know military service. I was, you know, that that generation. Ronald Reagan, G.I. Joe, oh, yeah. you know, Rambo was my hero. So that was all about <laughs> warfare and, you know, going and getting those first confirmed kills on the block kind of thing, like uh, Full Metal Jacket. But, um, no, I mean, I jumped right in and, and, and had a great career. Um, again, infantry, um, made Sergeant E5 within three years. So um, you were you were an enlisted man, not an officer. I was an enlisted man. Um, got out uh, Me too. <laughs> an E6 promotable status if I'd have done another year and just had one more duty to make um, seven. But um, no, I got to you know enjoy being a team leader at a very young age, and then eventually got my own squad and ran a platoon for a while. Um, you know, did a year in Korea, did a year in the Balkans post uh, Balkans War Stabilization Force. Um, stationed in, in in Texas and Kansas, you know, again, spent a lot of time in, at Fort Benning. Yeah. Um, being that's the home of the infantry, so all the leadership academies. And so I was at SIL a lot. Yeah. Actually did my PLDC at SIL. Nice. Okay. Um, so, yeah, no, great career. Um, enjoyed it a lot. Mm-hmm. Still miss the free ammo and throwing hand grenades, but uh, um, no, really enjoyed it. Uh, again, I, I would have finished out you know, 20 hadn't some extenuating circumstances kind of pop yeah. while I was on deployment. And, uh, how many times were you deployed? Uh, for this, for the war on terror? No, just period. How many times? Well, let me re-answer, re-ask that question the way we both understand it. How many times were you deployed to theater? Well, so two, two times of what's considered combat tour. Okay. The Balkans was considered, even though it was a kind of a peacetime mission. Still they, theater. They, you know, we got all the expeditionary badging for it. Yeah. I fired one shot that whole year. <laughs> um, Iraq was a little different. Yeah. Fired a few more shots over there. But um, I, I'd say, you know, in terms of hardcore combat deployment, one year qualifies for that. And that's the first year, 03, of the invasion of Iraq. In, in <clears throat> the reason, uh, you know, I wanted you to expand on that a little bit is because and I'll get to it, but, um, you know, people that were never in the Army, that were never in the military, they think our training is entirely how to kill. But really, I'd say more of it was – the majority of it was probably how to – is the saving of lives, how to keep each other safe. And so I know that had to, uh, you know, had to bleed itself into you becoming a safety professional in another field, right, in, in, the, in the civilian world. So. I'll get to that. So, you know, we're here today. Um, 
uh, your vice president next here. And, and, and the reason uh, I know you got a very buttoned up safety program is because I've I haven't been into I haven't been servicing or selling to or cooperating with the oil field probably about eight to ten years. And in that eight to ten years, there is a direct correlation between how well companies do and how well their safety program is. Now, I'm not Absolutely. saying that's the only reason, but it's a damn sure direct reflection of what they're of doing. And uh, and so that's always there. And and so um, you you know as far as you know, there's a couple of things about next year's safety programs I'd like to ask you. But can you? Give me an idea of, as, as a safety leader of a company that's now uh, approaching 4,000 uh, people, probably 5,000 sometime this year, what is your general safety philosophy for the oil field and energy sector? Well, so take it back to the comments on the military, right? That's, that's one of the first things that I had reminded myself of years ago, even in operations. And the operations side, I was still obviously heavy on safety and i've always understood that there is a direct correlation between getting it right and safety service quality and everything else falling in line that's a fact right so it's always been an area of focus but when you've been in the military and you've learned how to influence the human brain to go into a completely uncontrolled environment granted the training and the programming is off the charts compared to what we do in, in the oil field sector right yeah but for the most part you're sending a group of young people into a completely uncontrolled environment. You have no idea what's going to happen, and everybody gets out of there alive. And it's under the absolute most extreme conditions. We're not talking about slips, trips, falls, and you know, dropping a sledgehammer on your foot. Yeah. We're talking about things blowing up, rounds flying, but yet you get out of there unscathed. Outside of that training, it's, it's how you manage the individual. Right, you were talking about, you know, some people have this idea of the training in the professional military. It's not what you see on TV in World War II or yeah. everybody gets screamed at. It's very personal. Yeah. You know, you have to lead the individual at times. Yeah, there's a time for, for group leading, but the more you know about each individual and how they tick, how they react, the more you can influence those actions in your favor. One right? thing I, I've told people that I think shocks people about the army is that almost all drill sergeants have a degree in psychology. They're not nothing. None of this, this, these things they think is correct. They're, they're all a part of a plan and it's all really studied in on human psychology. Absolutely. So, but, but go ahead. And go ahead. HSC is, it, it's the same way, right? You know, I always take the approach that generally what we focus on is just the barriers and controls, regular HSC blocking and mm-hmm. tackling, but there's always that human error residual risk always. Mm-hmm. Right. And we even put it in our, in our risk logs, you know, Hey, we got controls and we got all this great stuff. That one thing hanging out there that we can't control is when some human being goes off the reservation on us. Yeah. BS. We can absolutely control that. Now, granted, there's a very small percentage of those people who knowingly and willfully violate rules, but that's a very small percentage. So of all the other things that have the potential to go wrong and do go wrong in our business, just like we learn in, you know, in, in, in our profession, what makes up that other 90-something percent? Yeah. Well, it's almost always human error. So we have to focus on the humans. Mm -hmm. Some of those concepts that come out of the military are perfect examples of that. Again, if we can do that in those environments, we should be able to deploy a frat crew, deploy a wireline crew with tuned up heads. Just let's just assume you don't know anything, but I've tuned you up enough on self-awareness, situational awareness. Um, You should be able to avoid errors. 
right? So that's a huge basis of our system. Obviously, it's, you know, you have to have barriers and controls assurance. That's the number one focus, especially for those things that can kill or seriously harm. But you really absolutely have to cover down and spend a lot of time on the human brain, the human mindset, empowering, getting them to understand. And, you know, we sus- subscribe heavily to human beings are fallible. Yeah. Even, you know, the best make mistakes and we're extremely <laughs> forgetful. Someone has to be reminding us of the most important things on a continuous basis. Yeah. Right, because they get go, they get going in a process, and they go through that process for seven months, and and it gets to be very comfortable. There's no injuries. There's nothing went wrong, and the one day the deviation starts to occur. Yeah, that's the right. one day, and and that's what I you know people used to, you know, back in 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 my work in manufacturing PPE, I would put together safety programs, right, and and say, look, part of the safety program is let's take the thinking out of it. Let's take the let's let's not let them think. Let's say, okay, you're using this PPE if you're doing this work, right? The other thing was was training. And you know, uh, some of the companies I worked with, they would ask me, well, what kind of training is it like? How in depth is it going to be? How what's it going to concern? I was like, you know, that's only half of the reason for the training. The other half is to bring safety back to the frontal lobe. That's really what it is because if they go a while, they get you know they, they get comfortable and they forget things and it's and it starts to, you know, it doesn't get reminded until they slip until something yep. happens. So very easy to forget, especially yeah. in our business. It's very fast paced. We've got young supervisors with you know mil- tens of millions of dollars worth of assets they're responsible for. Large groups of human beings. You've got the customer you're trying to do a good job for. Mm. There's a lot of pressure and a lot of traps. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of situations that can influence you to forget something or to, you know, mean to, but skip a few steps. Right. Yeah. So you got to have certain mechanisms in there to make sure that that doesn't happen. Do y'all have anything remotely resembling a start card or rules you checklist you go through before you start a job? Anything like that at next year? We've got a few. Okay. And again, outside of physical engineered barriers mm-hmm. or even administrative controls in order to better control the human error potential mm-hmm. and focus on human performance is to have continuous reinforcers and reminders. That's the only way, right? Okay. So in our program, I can really break that down into three major components. The first thing is, and just like the mil- this is taken right out of military's playbook along with um, the airline industry, nuclear regulatory, fire and rescue. First thing you have to do is establish situational awareness. Mm. So you, you've got to put focus on that briefing. Some people just think it's a safety briefing and you pull everybody together, check some blocks, sign the thing, go to work. However, that's your first opportunity to get everybody tuned up. What the hell are we even doing out here, right? Just like an operations, you remember operations Absolutely. sort of briefing. Absolutely. So if you listen to a, a well-executed next-tier briefing in the field, it will give you flashbacks to a five-paragraph op order that you used to listen to before you go out and do a military exercise. Gotta Why? Because it's proven. Yeah. It's taking people into combat, into rescue situations. Planes don't fall out of the sky, and they all we all follow the same process. Yeah. Extremely important. So that's step one. I can train you today, right, take you to training, and if I don't tell you anything ever again how the hell you remember so many times well you went to new hire yeah a year ago how the hell was i supposed to remember all the stuff you shoved down my throat yeah 
So I have to make sure that the first time you're in the field, I got to bring you back to day one so you don't forget the critical things. Yeah. Well, that's still not good enough, right? You can go to that pre-job safety briefing. The minute you walk away, there's a million factors that could just wipe that perfectly executed briefing that you were interacting with off the face of the map, right? Whether it's a text from the girlfriend, the boss is yelling at you, you got money problems, whatever it is, it's enough to take you off your game. Situational yeah. awareness just ducked, right? So then that's when the leading uh, you know, employee-led programs come in that we focus on. So now we got things like observations, we got the reporting, keeping your head on a swivel, keeping you fresh, right? Um, but more you know, directed towards your question, we've got the pause process, okay? And pause, it's a process that's followed before anyone engages in any task. Again, Anything could happen once you leave that leave the briefing. A ton of things can happen from the first day you were trained. There's got to be a process in there to ensure, in a in a in a high hazard environment, that all the necessary checks are being done, and the discussions are being had that heighten or either reestablish or maintain your situational awareness before you execute. And they're very short, just like a football huddle. These things, you know, last anywhere from seven to 30 seconds depending on what we're about to do yeah and that's keep it. it within the job i mean and that's it it's yeah. reinforcing and reminding reinforcing and reminding throughout the course of a 12-hour shift okay is all it is um and that's again managing and who does that for next year I, I mean i can't be all hsc people right there's no, only so many of them it is not hsc so operations management people this, like that they're all they're they're all responsible for this message absolutely yeah absolutely we're the facilitators of the program but operations has to drive it which they do right yeah. Um, it comes from them. It, HSC cannot be separate. Yeah. In a lot of places it is. Oh, we're going to do the HSC now, and now we're going to talk about execution. No, no, no. Taking the briefing, we're talking about what is dangerous with the SAN system while we're talking about how much SAN we owe the customer and at what concentrations we're going to be running it. So it all is ingrained in one another where we may be talking about something that's execution, but right after that, we're talking about the risks and the hazards and the area or whatever, all together. It should flow together. It's you know everything's based on p bed in our system, yeah. um, so it follows a natural operation cycle, not separate. That's um, you know <clears throat> I, my usual co-host Justin Overstreet of Wildcat. Uh, he uh, couldn't be here today, uh, sadly, but uh, you know his his personal. Um, uh, philosophy, like he, you know, he talks about that on safety, and you know, I he was, he became my co-host after he was my first interview for the podcast, and you know, one thing he said was, uh, you know, he made a note, it's like, look, safety is your problem, not my problem, it's our problem, right? And so everybody's everybody's an HSC person. And he said, I, he absolutely, you, you've got to be empowered to make this your responsibility. And, you know, people call, is this a hazard? I don't know, is it? You, you, touch that you, you figure that out. Yeah. You, you find out. You, you figure that out on your own. And he said, you know, it's basically empowering. He's like, look, you got to make these. You got to make safety calls. You, you operations people, where you know, I can give you a basic guideline of how I want things run, but you're the ones in the field, and you and you have to decide that yourself. So you have to take safety into your own hands. That's a little bit his philosophy. I think it works probably pretty well. It kind of sounds like what you're doing is saying, look. You can't be waiting around for an HSC rep to come into you and see what you're doing wrong and correct you. You've got to be self-correcting. That's right. Your teammates got to be self-correcting. You know, and you know I've seen some companies they you know they'll they'll have the um, was it the I think I think it's what you were saying when you said pause where anybody can be stopped. 
And so a CEO or something will walk through a plant and he'll be he'll purposely forget his glasses or his hard hat to see who will Just to see. who's Maybe got the yeah, yeah. who's got the gravitas to come up and check the CEO or the VP of the company and someone some poor soul always puts their life on the line and does it and they win because they get rewarded. That's, that's what right. they're looking for. They're looking for people to say, look, it doesn't matter who it is, everybody's responsible for everyone else and that's the philosophy you got to have because you know, and that's why I was. You know, I know a little bit about uh, next year through seeing uh, Matt and his teams and, and and how the safety works. But I wanted to you know ask you that question because I wanted to make that apparent as like it's really the safest companies drill in safety culture from the, everybody. It's yep. not just you can't look at. Um, and I'm babbling here, but uh, you can't look at safety as. Um, Something you do when you know the HSC rep is out in the in the in the, in the shop or in the field. You got to do right. it at all times. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, the last thing you want is HSC could very easily convert an organization into a dependent organization, mm-hmm. right? And in in the past, we have done everything for everyone, and that doesn't move the needle at all. Doesn't. <clears throat> so, and you know, we're dealing with a lot. Of, one of the biggest challenges in our industry right now is, you know, that one line item that says, you know, do supervisors always follow the rules even when management's not looking mm-hmm. that's a challenge right yeah. young supervisors again you know we talked about it. all of the responsibility and the action and, and the changes and everything that's going on in location they can very easily unknowingly deviate or not follow up on stuff right so it's focusing on who's controlling the work out in the field right because again we're talking about human performance management right you have to be connected with with the troops to be able to pull that off. Yeah. So you know, working on the engagement, and the skill level of some of our younger, new up and coming leaders in the field is equally important. To all of this because at the end of the day, if they're not getting it done, then it's not getting done, right? Um. So yeah, education, teaching as many people all of these skills and this awareness of things, because a lot of this is not normal to what we do in our industry. There's only a few organizations that I am aware of that do the full gamut on human performance, you know, and and, um, uh, Chevron's one of them. Chevron's got, their their system aligns perfectly with ours. We kind of all have the same background, Fisher IT, the E-Colors, you know, Aero. Mm -hmm. Um, That's our discipline, uh, base discipline at, at next year. It's also with them. Um, uh, you know, Shell, um, some people, that, that's what I call trying to get it right, is having that heavy focus on the human beings around there. Okay. But, so anyway, very necessary. Well, <clears throat> I want to make a little bit of pivot to the E part of the HSC uh, and just kind of, uh, you know, no true question here, but just, you know, environmental is obviously um, – a key cog in every oil fields discussion at all time. Any energy company is, is talking about it. And, you know, I've talked to several companies and the best ones. And again, next year's absolutely one of the best companies out there making pretty uh, rapid efficiency improvements, pretty rapid environmental improvements. I'm going to ask you about that. But, but first, if I, you know, I, 
forgot to at the beginning, but I want to thank the tasting room in City Center here uh, for allowing us to use their their beautiful wine room, their beautiful private room to uh, to record this podcast. Uh, I, I can't thank them enough for uh, being so gracious to let us have the room. But um, to the question, uh, so <clears throat> next year, uh, largest natural gas burning fleet in Amer- in America, right? Or are you either close to it, or maybe the lar- I guess the largest one. Um, what has uh, some technology that next year has launched recently uh, have you know maybe if it be electric flack or whatever it is you're doing that's improved environmental that you that you guys brag about well in addition to having the largest natural gas uh, capable fleet we also have the infrastructure to support it now right mm-hmm. not only ours but we're also um, providing um, natural gas and field gas to some of our peers Nice. Um, and to various customers. So that's another product line that we kicked off. But, um, uh, yeah, the natural gas burning uh, tier four DGB uh, components that we have either, you know, built from the ground up or have retrofitted uh, some of our um, existing units after the fact um, are in full force and, and fully booked. Because uh, yeah. that, that really that's what everybody's looking for. And, you know, we went through this kind of transitionary period over the last few years. What's What's ideal? You know, everybody's getting excited over electric, uh-huh. and but still, you got to have these, you know, humongous power generation uh, units on location, and um, but being able to to burn field gas—that's the brilliant is, move. That is a solution a lot of customers are looking for, and we've been able to, you know, just come in and, and provide it from the ground all the way up. Can you give a macro view of that? And because the reason I say that is because not everyone listening is an oil field person like so and and again i'm one of those right i've never worked in the oil field myself but uh before there was a lot of loss of natural gas right it was either burned off or 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 whatever reason and now what you're doing is taking that loss that was coming into the environment either through a fire or release was it released was that ever happening or was that wasn't supposed to but it flaring off flaring off okay flaring is what they call it uh but now you're taking that that was being flared off and actually using it to fuel the pumps you were using before therefore closing that loop really right that's right in in killing that environmental killing that uh that environmental problem you're you're getting a few things out of that right so I'll, i'll try to keep it as high level and simple as possible but you know you look at these 2500 horsepower engines diesel burning engines and you could have 30 of them on location that's a lot of emissions yeah right i mean just pure horsepower billowing black smoke in the air for years um by burning that fuel gas yes gas is not you know three dollars uh, whatever it is right now that's not super profitable a lot of places don't have the infrastructure to pipe it out anyway so you burn it off in the atmosphere, that creates carbon footprint, right? Sure, sure. Um, you feed that to the trucks, you not only get the benefit um, of not having to flare off that gas, but even more so, you're not burning all that diesel, right? And, and we're not talking about, you know, some of these units don't, they'll do about a 50% uh, uh, combustion rate, right? So yeah. 50% gas, 50% diesel. Gotcha. Um, and then some will just be, you know, gas. purely driven on gas. But um, they can be supplied through that fuel gas. Again, that have the benefits that we just mentioned and or um, compressed natural gas, mm. you know, so you could get it either way. Um, but the emissions that 
come from the natural gas burning units are obviously far less um, than than just burning diesel in the atmosphere, um, and a huge cost driver for for customers. Right, diesel's yeah. expensive. Flaring off the gas is expensive. I had um, Tim Lowry from uh, Applied Cryogenic Technologies on here. They do machinery for the compressed natural gas, and I mean they're. I mean, they're ahead of the field. Like they're they're pretty advanced with that stuff. So it's it's been interesting between talking to someone on your side of it and someone on his side of it. It's been it's been pretty pretty interesting to learn about it. But yeah, that's um, I think that's a win right there. I think that's a big win on for everybody. I think it's a big win for next year. I think it's a big win for the environment and and everybody that champions that right because um, you know that's obviously a, something that's been in contention with the oil and gas companies since the beginning probably at some point or level but uh um one thing too uh in the news i I guess it's been a while now but uh next year um had a acquisition i don't know is it acquisition of alamo or was it a was it a merger or what was a merger well we'll call it an acquisition okay well uh alamo um pressure pumping you know one of the most respected companies out there. Oh yeah, and uh, those those guys, those boys got it done. They, man. Uh, they were good. They were efficient. They were productive. Uh, so uh, when I when I heard about that that uh, happening, I was like, oh man, next year pull off the coup because oh, yeah. you know I had talked to you know I was friends with their VPs and there were a lot of people trying to make that happen. There were a lot of big companies that were trying to acquire Alamo to their team because. They're efficient, right? They, they they do a damn good job. How has that been as far from a safety perspective? Um, combining two companies. I mean, I know you just did this with Keen, right? And I know you had the the unbelievable headache of that. And I've asked people about this in the past because we talked about safety being a heavy cultural thing, right? So you're you're having two cultures meet. So you had Keen and C and J, two cultures meet. No matter what where they are on the spectrum, that's going to be a you know, good luck figuring that jigsaw puzzle out. And, but uh, but bring in. I'll be more recent and just ask you about Alamo. How 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 difficult is it to to bring in a company like that and combine it with your company and get everybody on board with your safety philosophy? Easier than I've ever seen. Nice. Ever. Okay. Um, and you know, to to be frank, every every time there's a merger or an acquisition, you always hear that key phrase. Oh, we've got. Um, our cultures are, are completely the same. The cultures align. And, and, yeah. and in most of my uh, acquisitions or mergers, which I've been to several, that's usually bullshit. Yeah. It's usually not the case. Yeah. Right? More PR fluff. That couldn't be more the case between Next Tier and Alamo. Just pure execution. Nice. Uh, you know, driven on perfection. Um, I know personally um some of the folks that that help lead that business and i know how effective they are one of them as a matter of fact was my mentor at slumberjay when i was a new up-and-comer um that uh, that was one of the frack crew that i was on that now runs um frack on that side so as soon as i heard his name that that he spoke for itself right, right? Yeah. um but the entire leadership team at alamo they all have a, a exceptional reputations and and their their service record is just incredible so it was that was the first time I actually seen two things that just totally came together as like we it was meant to be right and even on the business side it was meant to be like that that that, that was a perfect fit perfect fit yeah so I, that was good to see you know and you know the talking to industry leaders 
consolidation was something that was certainly going to happen throughout the oil field, and it's Absolutely. happened, and it continues to happen, right? And, you know, last year we didn't see, uh, you know, and, and I was telling um, some guys I know, you know, about the listening in on people and learning, and you didn't see the, you know, the CapEx investment that you would have thought you would have seen in 2021 that I think you're now seeing. So oil field companies are, are growing a lot, and, you know, and that's, that is a, in my experience, in my conversations, uh, injuries are about 75% likely to be someone who's pretty new. Is that, is that, would you think that would be in next year as well? If you have accidents, it's probably a new person? Yeah. Now. Yes. However, you know, we, next year we, we, we classify our short service employees kind of in two buckets, right? Mm. We treat everybody as a short service employee. If you've been, if you're a rehire and you've been separated for more than six months, we're going to bring you in and, and treat you like brand new again, just to make sure. Mm. Um, however, if you're new to the industry, it's a mandatory sentence. If you've got experience, you can come out of your green hat, for lack of better terms, yeah. based on your assessment and if you're ready or not. Could be tomorrow, could be three months from now. Surprisingly, and and this I'm glad to see this, the short service employees hitting the grid for for incidents, say in uh, uh, 2021, were not new to the industry, thankfully so. We would expect you're coming fresh out of training and you're definitely following all the rules. Um, but it's short service employee with experience is actually where we've seen most of them, which again, you know, in my world, that gives me a focus on that kind of knowledge based performance where yeah. I think I know what I'm doing, but, but you don't, yeah. right? Oh, I know this. I've been doing Just this for years. confidence. <laughs> but you're not following the process. Yeah. Or maybe you're following the process from the last place you work. We need you to follow our process. So the majority of those short service employee incidents have actually been short service, yes, but coming from somewhere else. And even With bad even habits. used to work for us. Yeah. Right? Go to the training. I've heard this all before. Not me. I got my shit together. No, actually, you, you're not ready. And for those who don't know, he uh, – John mentioned Green Hat uh, in in the and I don't know if this is just exclusively an oil field thing, but uh, new people wear green hats. The, the hard hats are green, so uh, others around them can recognize that they're new and I guess kind of keep a sharp eye on them. Right? Is that kind of what it is? Yeah, and you know, in some circles, that's considered old school. You know, yeah. the, the 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 green hat in some circles over time started to turn into some kind of derogatory new guy thing however we put that back into place because nice. we thought it's that was important. It's a good thing it's a you got to have that visual you know i want to know who doesn't have the experience and who hasn't been on as soon as i go to location and and again you go on one of ours and you'll be able to distinguish between absolutely new and yeah there's a green hat but there's a big sticker on it that says i got experience but i'm new to next year mm -hmm. um so it's just you know being able to focus on one group in one way focus on another group in another way they got different needs between two of them um, but, uh, yeah, the ones, um, folks with experience tend to get a little overconfident. Let's just say yeah. maybe not pay attention to follow the steps cause you've been doing it so long. Um, and you think you have it memorized, but you don't. And again, that's why we focus heavily on following procedures step by step as you may think, you know, but you don't, you don't know. That's yeah. right. <clears throat> um, so it's taking a step back on the uh, culture and the things you're doing to, uh, I guess, um, 
integrate culture into next year. You are uh, doing a lot of things, uh, and I've got to see a little bit of it, and it's it's pretty it's it's impressive and it's cool and it's uh, and it's a way to communicate with your workers to get them involved to get them in uh, in step and, and and get them motivated to do this and use the failings program. Uh, and I'm not even going to bother trying to explain any of it. I'm going to let you uh, sell that and tell that program exactly what it is and what you're doing because it's super cool. That's going to be a tough one. I, I we're so passionate about it. I'll try to sum it up, but. Um yeah, so so we've we've had a pretty solid system, you know, through Keen that we developed. However, and it was extremely effective. And what really prompted Phalanx right off the bat, it was two customers that said, "Hey, man, you guys are got a really cool program. You know, can you explain it to us?" I'm like, "This thing doesn't even have a name. We just call it our safety system." Yeah. Um, this was happening about the same time that we were drawing down, right? So we 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 kind of brought it back to the drawing board and said, man, we're about to probably reduce our HSC staff by 70%, right? So this means that we have our program has to be so easy, clear, and effective because supervisors in the field and mid-level managers are going to have to do more of the executing on behalf of our HSC systems with less hand-holding, right? So the first thing we want to do is give it a name, right? So, of course, you know, warrior culture, a lot of us have <laughs> subscribed to that stuff. We did some, uh, you know, brainstorming, and we came up with phalanx, which, you know, again, an, the ancient formation of interlocking shields, you know, protecting the man to your left and right and the it's rear. It. it just it really fit, right? Yeah, so, and so and for, for the people out there, it's what you saw in the movie 300 uh, when they lined up with each other and worked in the unit. Everybody depended on everyone else in every way possible. That's the phalanx, and that's right. uh, and so that's why you kind of went to that. We name. adopted the phalanx. Mm -hmm. We were able to come up with some really cool, you know, uh, icons and badging to get everybody kind of you know jacked up about it. Mm -hmm. Most guys like the the movie Three Hundred. Yeah. If you're military first responder, you can Gordy, absolutely yeah. um, relate to the Spartan logo because it's you know warrior culture. It's yeah. just like the Punisher logo. It's something that we see a lot. However, next here is the only one with the proprietary Spartan helmet with a hard hat on it. That's ours. Nice. Nobody else can have it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we started with a name, gave it a designation, you know, and really dug into just a really, you know, strong, simplified approach, but with, with a lot of advanced, you know, uh, uh, approaches within it like the human performance stuff, right? Yeah. We even teach a lot of that um, to our new employees, new hire. Um, so yeah, we got the phalanx program. Um, and that is what we call our, uh, our tactical package, right? It's where our strategy, we've got our HSC strategy. We explain to everybody, you know, this is where we're going. This is what has to be in place. The phalanx is what you utilize in the field tactically to get there to ensure hundred percent safe operations. Um, and, and it's been extremely effective. Um, but again, it's like all systems, you know, you have to train to it, you have to utilize it in order for it to be successful. Um, but, uh, we've had a lot of success from it. It's, it's really picked up where, you know, we got this huge, you know, phalanx store with all kinds of cool, we got our own clothing line and all that. So they can order from inside internal things. They don't have to order anything. We'll bring it to you. Oh, nice. Right. So we, cool. we do a lot of, I do a lot of shipping or, you know, executive leadership will, will go to the field and, um, give guys awards, but it's really starting to pick up in the sense that people want the swag. They want the recognition. 
Um, they feel part of the process. They feel part of the process, and That's HSC huge. should be cool. Yeah, QHSC should be cool. Yeah. It is cool when you go out there and you say, "Dude, we just kicked ass. Yeah. Nobody got hurt. Gave the customer more than what he was asking for. We won today, right? And we've got this thing that that we're you know we're starting to rally um, with, and 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 it's HSC. And again, where it's being embraced and it's being. Uh, uh, and, and and people are real successful with it. I'm telling you, their performance is just incredible in the field. Not just HSC performance, incident-free, obviously, but the amount of hours that are being pumped, the amount of wireline runs, it, it is absolutely uh, translating into service quality as well. Right? Yeah, because you guys have the largest wireline group too, right? That's correct. That's about, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, um, you know, next year having this – you know, we talked about the program, right, and all, all the things you're doing and the stellar safety record that you have right now. And I'm sitting here and looking at the news, and uh, I'm seeing uh, next-tier oil field solutions, 83% uh, return over one year. Things are going well. Yeah. The whole leadership We're team is killing it. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and like I said, it goes back to what I said at the very beginning. There is a direct association between companies that take safety seriously and companies that do well all around. There's just an just an absolute relation there. Um, John, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I don't want to take you out, you know, your whole day here. We're, we're doing this during your lunch hour, but I, I greatly appreciate you taking the time for me. I know your time is very valuable. You're busy. You're keeping 3,700 people safe right now. And uh, I wanted your expertise. I wanted your... Um, uh, you know, being an, uh, being a veteran myself, um, obviously that puts me, you and I, you know, uh, a little bit closer. And, and I wanted, really wanted someone to talk about where they, um, how they conjured up their civilian leadership style through their experience there. I knew it was there. I knew it was there when I saw what you were doing. And, and that's why I desperately wanted to get you. And I'm glad Matt uh, hooked us up so we could do this. And But thank you very much for uh, coming on the podcast, and I appreciate it. Appreciate you letting me come on and talk about all those things that we love. All right. Uh, hope to have you again maybe a year or so. We can circle back and yes, see what's sir. going on and talk about it again. Yep, let's and do it. Have a good one. All right. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and accept the mission. Please subscribe to the Mission Zero podcast on your preferred streaming service and be sure to give us a five-star review.